Thanks for tuning in to this week's sermon from Oak Hill Church in Humboldt, Iowa. We pray that it helps you to know Christ, grow in Christ, and sow Christ wherever you are. For more information about who we are and what we're doing, go to oakhillhumboldt.org. So we're in this sermon series called Supernatural Courage. And we're looking at different characters each week and and how they exhibited that supernatural courage. And each of these characters that we've looked at so far faced a difficult situation and each had the courage to make a difficult decision. Uh, First we had David, who's this young shepherd boy, goes up one-on-one against the giant Goliath. And Esther is the queen And her people, the Israelites, the Jews, have had an edict pronounced against them where they're all going to be slaughtered. And so Esther has the courage to go into the king's presence without an invitation. And then Daniel uh, was a Jew in Babylon and the law was passed that you could only pray to the king and Daniel had to face the decision, do I continue to pray to God and face death, or do I pray to the king? And then last week we saw Hannah. Hannah was barren, longing for a child, and she was able to put her trust in in God and what he was able to do for her. And today we're going to look at the story of Caleb. And Caleb was one of 12 Israelites during the time of the Exodus that was sent in to spy out the promised land. And Caleb, like these other characters that have come before him, had the courage to step into what God had called him to. And the common thread that runs through these characters is that God's past grace informed their present reality and gave them persevering confidence for what was going to come next. So we're going to see that in Caleb's story. For Caleb, Caleb knew God's past grace. Caleb experienced God's past grace. And so when he got to the promised land, when he got to the front step of the promised land, he understood his present reality in that context of God's past grace. And then he was able to step forward with persevering confidence, trusting God for what was going to come next. So let's look at those one at a time. First, we're going to begin with God's past grace in Caleb's life. Caleb's an Israelite during the time of the Exodus, and so Caleb's story starts all the way back in Genesis chapter 12, when God called Abram. So Genesis 12, God calls Abram and says, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. So leave the place that you live now and go to this new land that I will show you. And I will make you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. And then we see in verse 6, Abraham did that. He left his, his father's house, goes through the land to the place at Shechem, to the oak of Morah, and at that time, the Canaanites were in the land. So this is the promised land. This is Abram's first glimpse of that land. And the Lord appeared to Abram and said, to your offspring, I will give this land. So he built there an altar to the Lord who had appeared to him. 
So all the way back in Genesis, God had told Abraham, Abraham, I am going to make you into a great nation, and I am going to give that nation this promised land. Fast forward to the beginning of Exodus, Israel has now grown into a great nation, but they are slaves in Egypt. They have come under the slavery of the Egyptians. And they're crying out to God, God, deliver us from our slavery. We're miserable here. We need help. And so God raised up Moses, and God spoke to Moses at the burning bush in Exodus chapter 3. And look at what God tells Moses. I have surely seen the affliction of my people who are in Egypt, and I have heard their cry because of their taskmasters. I know their sufferings, and I have come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians. And what has, why has he come to deliver them from the hand of the Egyptians? To bring them up out of that land to a good and broad land, a land flowing with milk and honey, to the place of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites. Moses, God comes to Moses in the bush and says, Moses, I am going to fulfill the promise that I made to Abraham. I'm going to take my people out of slavery into the promised land, a land flowing with milk and honey, a land that is now inhabited by all of these nations. God, Caleb knew that story. Caleb was part of that story. And so Moses leaves the wilderness, comes to Egypt, and over the course of the next two years, Caleb and the rest of the Israelites have a front row seat to miracle after miracle after miracle of God fulfilling his promises to Israel, of God showing himself to be faithful and trustworthy for Israel. So they begin in Egypt, and in Egypt they're slaves, and God, through the course of the ten plagues, crushes the Egyptians, overthrows the Egyptians, lays them low until finally the tenth plague, the Passover, the killing of the firstborn, the Egyptians tell the Israelites, leave, get out of here so that we can be done with all of this judgment. And so God conquers the Egyptians through the ten plagues, and Caleb and the rest of Israel leaves Egypt, delivered from slavery, they see God fulfill that promise. And in the wilderness, God leads them through the pillar of cloud by day and the pillar of fire by night. So these, these Israelites had a daily physical reminder that God was with them. All they had to do was look at this incredible pillar of cloud during the day and this pillar of fire during the night to know God is with us. God is fulfilling his promises to us today. But you know the story of the Israelites in the wilderness. They were so slow to trust God. They were so quick to forget what God was doing. And so throughout the narrative, time and again, God meets their needs and they grumble against him. So first they get to the Red Sea and the Egyptian army has second thoughts and says, maybe we want them to be our slaves after all. So the Egyptian army comes after the Israelites and the Israelites immediately panic. And they say, Moses, why have you brought us out of Egypt just so that the Egyptians can slaughter us? What is God doing to us? Why would he do this to us? So they, they don't trust God. God's not going to rescue us. And of course, 
God does rescue them. God opens the Red Sea. The Israelites pass through it safely, and then God crushes the Egyptian army with the Red Sea. And then they're wandering in the wilderness, and they start to get hungry. And they say, God doesn't care about us. God's not meeting our needs. And so God sends manna, this miraculous bread from heaven, to give them their daily portions. And then they get thirsty, and, and they say, God won't help us, we're thirsty. And so God brings water out of the rock to, give, to quench their thirst. And then they get to Mount Sinai, and God speaks to Moses on the mountain, gives him the Ten Commandments, tells Moses and all of Israel, this is how I want you to live in, in relationship with me. And while, while Moses is on the mountain receiving the Ten Commandments, Israel is down in the valley worshiping a golden calf because they think that God's left them. We don't know how long Moses is going to be up on the mountain. We better start worshiping God in our own way. And so they disobey God again. They don't trust him again. And then uh, Caleb and all the rest of the Israelites are witnesses to the consecration of the tabernacle. So God, God gives Moses these instructions to build this tabernacle so that God can come dwell with his people. And so they initiate the sacrificial system. God creates this gracious provision for them to come into his presence. And then finally, uh, just a few chapters before our story today, they start to get sick of the bread. They're sick of this manna that they've been eating. And they say, oh, I wish we had meat like we did back in Egypt. If only God loved us enough to give us meat. And so God sends quail. This enormous flock of quail comes and gives them the meat that they were hungry for. And so time and again, God is meeting their needs. And even as God is meeting their needs, they're forgetting about him. So God is showing himself to be faithful again and again and again in spite of their unbelief. And so Caleb is a witness to that. Caleb has seen miracle after miracle after miracle, promise after promise after promise fulfilled. And so Caleb has ample evidence that God is trustworthy and worth following. As Christians, we look back at these same Old Testament graces. We, if, if you're a believer, you should be reading the Old Testament. Don't, don't skip the first two-thirds of your Bible and, and focus only on the New Testament. There's food for you here in the Old Testament. The same God that delivered the, the Israelites from Egypt, the same God that gave manna from heaven, the same God that uh, sent the Ten Commandments, the same God who brought water out of the rock is at work today. We worship that same God, and so let's get to know him in the Old Testament. Let's look at these past graces in the Old Testament. And not only does God give us the Old Testament to give us confidence, but he, he also works in each of our lives in unique ways. Each of us has a unique story of God's grace. If we, if we went around the room and shared stories, there would be stories here of, of ways that God has moved in your life. Maybe, maybe God has, has answered a prayer in your life. You, you can say, yes, I was praying for this and God answered me. Maybe you had a relationship that was broken that God restored. A financial need 
that God met in a unique way, a child who was born, maybe you had an illness that was healed or an addiction that was conquered. There, there are unique ways that each of us can, can look at our past and say, yes, God met me there. God filled, fulfilled his promise to me there. God, God answered my cry for help here in the past, and so I know I can trust him. Christina and I do this when it comes to coming to Humboldt. Uh, so it was almost five years ago now. Uh, well, it was five years ago that our son Jack was born. Our son Jack was born on May 12th of 2014. And then four days later, May 16th, I graduated from seminary. And so here we are, this, uh, we've only been married about a year and a half. We've got this new baby. Uh, I'm done with school. And we're thinking, okay, God, what do we do now? Where do you want us to go now? We, I, I was pursuing pastoral ministry. I uh, thought that maybe in the Twin Cities in Minnesota was where the Lord, where, it's where we wanted to be. And so we're, we're looking for options there and God keeps closing doors in that area and we're thinking, okay, God, what do we do? We're, we, need, we need that next step. And he opened the door in this place called Humboldt, Iowa. Never heard of Humboldt before. Didn't care about Humboldt. Uh, had no intention of ever coming to rural Iowa, but we started moving down that road and the Lord quickly opened the door and it quickly became obvious, this is where I have you guys. But even after the door was open, Christina and I said, seriously? This is where we're going? This is not what we planned. And so there was some fear there. There was some anxiety about stepping into that. But we stepped into it, saying, okay, Lord, this is where you have us, and we step into it, and now five years later, we're just so grateful to God for what he has done. We love this community. We love this church. We've been so thankful for what, what the Lord has done in our family the last five years. And so we look back and say, yeah, God is so faithful. He's so kind to us. And you could each fill in stories like that. But most importantly... We can look back on what God has done through Jesus Christ for us. When we look at Christ crucified, we have our greatest evidence that God is for us. When you think to yourself, what has God done for me in the past? Can I trust God? Does he love me? Is he for me? The cross is a big flashing neon sign that says, yes, God loves you. God cares about you. God knows what you need and he is here to meet your deepest need. You were a slave to your sin and Jesus came. The Son of God came down to pay the price for your sin and to rescue you and to provide a way for you to be back in God's presence. So we look back at that past grace and we say, yes, God is for us. Caleb did that. Caleb looked at God's past grace. He saw everything that... Had, so he's, he's here in Egypt, and over the course of two years, God has brought him right to the front steps of the promised land, and he's just rehearsing God's grace in his past. And that past grace then brings us to our second point. It informs Caleb's present reality. Caleb's standing on the front step of the promised land, and Moses tells Caleb and, and 11 others to go spy out the land. Verse 17. 
Moses sent them to spy out the land of Canaan and said to them, Go up into the Negev and go up into the hill country and see what the land is and whether the people who dwell in it are strong or weak, whether they are few or many, and whether the land that they dwell in is good or bad, and whether the cities that they dwell in are camps or strongholds, and whether the land is rich or poor, and whether there are trees in it or not. Be of good courage and bring some of the fruit of the land. So Moses says, okay, we're here at the promised land. We've never been here before, so 12 of you go, go on a tour. Go figure out what this land is like and bring back a report for us. And uh, Caleb is one of those 12. And so they go in, spend 40 days cruising around the promised land, and then they come back. Verse 25, at the end of 40 days, they returned from spying out the land. And they came to Moses and Aaron and to all the congregation of the people of Israel in the wilderness of Paran at Kadesh. They brought back word to them and to all the congregation and showed them the fruit of the land. And here's their report. They told him, we came to the land to which you sent us. It flows with milk and honey, and this is its fruit. So they, they have this cluster of grapes, which is kind of a strange detail, but then you see that one cluster of grapes is so large that it has to be carried on a pole by two men. And so the question, is the land fruitful? Yeah, the land is so fruitful that a single cluster of grapes can't be carried by one man. And so they bring back evidence of, of this fruitfulness. They told him, we came to the land which you sent us. It flows with milk and honey, and this is its fruit. It flows with milk and honey, just like God had told Moses it would. Right? I'm going to bring you into a land flowing with milk and honey. And of course, it doesn't literally flow with milk and honey. This is just an illustration of how fruitful this land is. This is a place you want to live. This is a fertile land that's good for farming, that will, that will provide all that we need. So this is a good land. Verse 28, However, the people who dwell in the land are strong, and the cities are fortified and very large. And besides, we saw the descendants of Anak there. The Amalekites dwell in the land of the Negev. The Hittites, Jebusites, Amorites dwell in the hill country. The Canaanites dwell by the sea and along the Jordan. So it's a good land, but it's full of people. And those people are strong, and their cities are well fortified, and they don't look like they'd be happy to see us come in. And Caleb doesn't dispute this report. Caleb understands this, right? Caleb spent 40 days walking around. He sees all the good that the, that the land has to offer, and he sees all the risk involved. He sees that this land is full of people that are going to need to be conquered, and these people are stronger than the Israelites. Caleb's able to look that reality square in the face. Following God does not mean that we deny reality. And following Christ is not risk-free without cost. To say yes to Christ does involve risk. To say yes to Jesus is to say no to many things. Think of the disciples. Peter and James left their boats and their nets to follow Jesus, right? They left their career, they left their source of income and security, they left their lifestyle to follow Jesus. Matthew is a tax collector, leaves the tax booth to go follow Jesus. Think of the life of Paul. Paul is a Pharisee persecuting Christians. His entire life is wrapped up in that universe, and he 
leaves it to follow Christ. And he says, everything that I had, I count as a loss for the sake of knowing Christ. They left everything behind. Many people have lost relationships or possessions or careers or even their lives to follow Jesus. All of us, every one of us is called to leave behind the false comfort of being in the driver's seat of our lives. Apart from Christ, you get to be in control. Come to Christ, he gets control. We need to be honest about this. We, we shouldn't tell ourselves or other people, hey, come follow Jesus, it's easy. It's only good, always. No, it's hard. It's risky. It's going to cost you something. There will be loss. But it is worth it. A thousand times over, it's worth it. But the cost is real. And so, if you're still standing there on the doorstep of Christianity, if, if you have not yet left your old life, if you're still holding on with one hand to something else and you're not surrendering to Christ, today's the day. Do it now. We just read in, in Psalm 95, today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your heart. If you hear Christ saying, come follow me, if you're standing at the doorstep, would you cross the threshold today and say yes to Jesus? Not because it's easy, not because it has no cost, not because it will only benefit you, but because it's good, because it's better than the life that you're now living. Right? Caleb looked at his present reality. He saw this is a good land, but it is full of people. There is risk in stepping into the promised land. Caleb looked at his past, God's past grace. It informed his present reality. And then that empowered Caleb's persevering confidence. God's past grace gave Caleb this persevering confidence that God would continue to be for him. Look at how Caleb responds to the risk involved in going into the promised land. Verse 30 of chapter 13. So they hear this report, the land is good, but it's full of people. But Caleb quieted the people before Moses and said, let us go up at once and occupy it, for we are well able to overcome it. Caleb says, let's go. Let's go into the promised land today. We are well able to overcome the people there. Caleb's ready. Caleb says, God has been for us up to this point. Do you remember two years ago when we were slaves in Egypt and God crushed the Egyptians? Let's go into the promised land and see him do it again. What's holding us back? Today's the day. Let's follow God into this next step. God brought us out of Egypt to bring us into here and we're here. Let's go. Caleb is prepared. Caleb sees God's past grace and he's ready to step into God's future grace. However, 10 of the other spies are not with him. Verse 31, then the men who had gone up with him said, we are not able to go up against the people for they are stronger than we are. 
So they brought a bad report to the people of Israel. The ten spies are not ready to go in. They do not think that it's a good idea. And look at what happens when fear starts to win the day, when fear starts to rise to the surface. Verse 32, the land through which we have gone to spy it out is a land that devours its inhabitants and all the people that we saw in it are of great height. And there we saw the Nephilim and we seem to ourselves like grasshoppers and so we seem to them. Just a few minutes ago, they had brought this report. It's a good land, but it's full of people and the cities are well fortified. And all of a sudden, that, that straightforward factual report has become this land is a monster that eats people up. And this land is full of giants. And we are like grasshoppers. Hyperbole comes in. This is the insanity of sin, right? This is, this is what happens when fear gains control. These, these men twist their report so that not, it's no longer, yes, there's risk, but this is suicide for us to go in. So the Nephilim refers back to a story in Genesis 6 uh, of these almost, these, it's kind of a strange story of these almost demigods, these, these giants, these uh, men, sons of God. And that has become almost this legend for these spies where they say, hey, if we go into the promised land, you don't understand the people in it. Everyone in the promised land is huge. It's just... It's escalated out of control. If we go in there, we'll be devoured. So they spread this bad report. And unfortunately, tragically, the congregation listens to these ten spies. Chapter 14, Then all the congregation raised a loud cry, and the people wept that night. And all the people of Israel grumbled against Moses and Aaron. The whole congregation said to them, Would that we had died in the land of Egypt, or would that we had died in this wilderness. Why is the Lord bringing us into this land? To fall by the sword? Our wives and our little ones will become a prey. Would it not be better for us to go back to Egypt? The congregation's reaction, they question the Lord, why is God doing this to us? Why would God destroy us this way? Wouldn't it be better to go back to Egypt? What's in Egypt? Slavery. Misery. Go back and read the first few chapters of Exodus. The people of Israel were crushed in spirit. They were miserable. They were bitter. They hated their lives in Egypt. But now, all of a sudden, that looks better because at least we knew that misery. At least we we knew what to expect there. Let's go back to Egypt. We can't trust God. He's trying to destroy us. Caleb, and then he's joined joined by Joshua and Moses and Aaron. They're just baffled by this response. Verse 5. Then Moses and Aaron fell on their faces before all the assembly of the congregation of the people of Israel. And Joshua, the son of Nun, and Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, who were among those who had spied out the land, tore their clothes so Moses and Aaron and, and Joshua and Caleb, they're just, in, they're just grieving this faithless response. They're, they're overwhelmed that the Israelites are not trusting God. And they say, verse 7, The land which we pass through to spy it out is an exceedingly good land. 
If the Lord delights in us, he will bring us into this land and give it to us, a land that flows with milk and honey. Only do not rebel against the Lord and do not fear the people of the land, for they are bread for us. Their protection is removed from them and the Lord is with us. Do not fear them. Caleb and Joshua and Moses and Aaron, they say, this is the place that the Lord promised to give us. If the Lord delights in us, he'll give us the land. And guess what? The Lord delights in us. Do you want me to remind you what he's done so far? Don't rebel against the Lord. Go in. Listen to him. God has removed the protection from these people. We're going to eat them up like bread. This land doesn't devour its inhabitants. God means for us to devour them. Let's step forward in faith. But... Caleb and his three companions are the minority. Fear wins the day in Israel. Israel says no. They reject this and they they attempt to stone Caleb and Joshua. And so they say, no, we can't trust God. We can't go in. And so God's anger is kindled against Israel. Verse 11. How long will this people despise me? How long will they not believe in me in spite of all the signs that I have done among them? How long are these people going to despise me, God says. And and, uh, he threatens to destroy them on the spot, but Moses intercedes for them like he did back in Exodus with the golden calf. And so God relents from destroying them on the spot, but they do pay the consequences. They get what they want. They're standing at the doorstep of the promised land and they say, we can't enter in there. And so God says, fine, you don't get to come in. So God takes away entrance to the promised land. Verse 20. The Lord said, I have pardoned according to your word, but truly as I live and as all the earth shall be filled with the glory of the Lord and none of the men... He says, none of the men who have seen my glory and my signs that I did in Egypt and in the wilderness and yet have put me to the test these 10 times and have not obeyed my voice. So all these people that have rejected me over and over and over again have said no to me, have not believed me, have not trusted me. None of them shall see the land that I swore to give to their fathers and none of those who despise me shall see it. You don't want to go into the promised land? You can die outside of the promised land. And then he says, verse 31, or excuse me, verse 28, As I live, what you have said in my hearing I will do to you. Your dead bodies shall fall in this wilderness. All of your number listed in the census who have grumbled against me, not one of them shall come into the land. Verse 31, but your little ones, who you said would become a prey, I will bring in, and they shall know that you have that you, the land that you have rejected. Verse 33, your children shall be shepherds in the wilderness 40 years. Verse 34, according to the number of days in which you spied out the land, 40 days, a year for each day, you shall bear your iniquity 40 years, and you shall know my displeasure. So God says, hey, I, I gave you 40 days to spy out the land. You said no. You're going to spend 40 days in the wilderness. You said that your, women, your wives and children would be killed if we go into the promised land. Your children are the ones that are going to grow up and they're going to go into the promised land. You don't want to go in, I won't let you in. 
You're going to know my displeasure. And so they lose what God has given them. Caleb and Joshua, meanwhile, they are able to enter the promised land. Back up at verse 24, it says, My servant Caleb, because he has a different spirit and has followed me fully, I will bring into the land into which he went, and his descendants shall possess it. And then verse 30, No one shall come into the land where I swore that I would make you dwell, except Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, and Joshua, the son of Nun. They trusted me, they can come in. You don't have confidence in me, you can't come in. So the consequence is 40 years in the wilderness, that generation dies out, and for those 10 spies who rejected God, they die on the spot. Verse 36, the men whom Moses sent out to spy the land who returned and made the congregation grumble against him by bringing up a bad report, the men who brought up a report of the land died by plague before the Lord. So God demonstrates, they didn't trust me, they're out. So Caleb looked at God's past grace, looked at his present reality, and had a persevering confidence. He said, I'm, I'm with God to the end. I see what God can do, and I trust him. How can we be like Caleb? and not like the other spies or the rest of Israel? What's the secret to that persevering confidence? Hebrews 3 gives us the answer. Hebrews 3 looks back at this story. Uh, It quotes Psalm 95 that I read as our call to worship. It looks at this story as a warning to us and ties it to how we follow Christ. So look at just verses... uh, 12, excuse me, I think 13 through 15, 12 through 14. Hebrews 3, 12 through 14. Take care, brothers, lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart, leading you to fall away from the living God. But exhort one another every day, as long as it is called today, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. For we have come to share in Christ, if indeed we hold our original confidence firm to the end. So how do we have Caleb's persevering confidence? Same way Caleb did. We look back at God's past graces. There's a lot of uh, anxiety over perseverance among Christians, a lot of questions about, the, about perseverance. People asking, can a Christian lose their salvation? Is that possible? Scripture clearly teaches that the answer is no. I don't have time to get into all of the text, but you could go to John chapter 10, Ephesians 1 and 2, Philippians chapter 2, to see that Christians do not lose their salvation. But let verse 14 settle the question for you. The writer of Hebrews says in in verse 14, For we have come to share in Christ, if indeed we hold our original confidence firm to the end. To be a Christian is to persevere. If you are in Christ, you will persevere. Your perseverance will demonstrate the genuineness of your faith. Those who fall away were not Christians. God will cause his people to persevere. But that does not mean that we just stand idly by. 
that we just get to say, I've, I prayed the prayer, I've put my trust in Jesus, now I don't have to do anything. Now I can just cruise to heaven. No, God calls us to, bat, to fight the fight of faith. Verse 12, he tells us to do this as individuals. So we as individuals need to look at God's past grace. Verse 12, take care, brothers, lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart leading you to fall away from the living God. So Christian, be careful that the sin of unbelief does not crop up in your life and cause you to fall away. This verse is a warning to us that will cause us to persevere. So I don't know if you're anything like me, but when I wake up in the morning, I'm often not confident like Caleb. I don't wake up just confident in who I am in Christ. I've forgotten. The worries of the day immediately begin to come in. I, I, I immediately start to feel the stress and anxiety of whatever's before me. And, and what's before me really quickly starts to, to, to get bigger and bigger until it's a giant that devours the land, right? Have you ever experienced that where your day starts and immediately you're feeling that anxiety? When your alarm goes off, the battle begins. Are you going to trust God and his promises or are you going to look at your situation and the problems in your life? We need to rehearse God's past grace in our life every morning and throughout the day. We need to look back and say, okay, God is for me. Because of Christ, God is for me. I belong to Jesus. I am not my own. I was bought with a price. I am a child of God because of what Christ has done. God is pleased with me through Christ. I can step forward in faith. God will meet my needs today. He has met my needs every other day. He gave me daily bread yesterday. He's going to give me daily bread today. He is with me always, even to the end of the age. Right? We start claiming those promises. We start rehearsing God's past graces in our life. We need to do that throughout the day. We need to move forward in obedience because of what God has done for us in the past. And we can't just do it as individuals. Verse 13 tells us to do it with one another. Not only should you be careful that there's not an evil, unbelieving heart in you, you should exhort your brothers and sisters so that the same thing doesn't happen to them. Exhort one another, verse 13, every day, as long as it is called today, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. We need to live out our Christianity in community. Perseverance happens best in company. If you try to live out your Christianity alone, you will almost certainly fail. You are not trustworthy. You can't trust yourself. Sin will deceive you and you will stray. Satan and your sinful flesh would love nothing more than to get you alone, to get you away from God's word and away from God's people. As that happens, the more you're alone, the more that the promises of God will slowly become more and more faint and the voices of the world, the problems of your life will become louder and louder until finally you don't even hear God's voice anymore. Not many people make a clean break from Christianity. Not many people who are 
making initial steps toward Christ, turn around and walk away. Say, nope, I don't believe this. I don't buy it. I'm walking away. I'm going in another direction. That's pretty rare. Most people drift slowly. They're cut, they cut themselves off from God's word. They cut themselves off from God's people. And then they just slowly fall. And all of a sudden, they're gone. Don't let that happen. Don't let that happen to you. Don't cut yourself off from God's word. Don't cut yourself off from God's people. Rehearse God's past graces. Don't let other people in this church fall away. If you see somebody that you're thinking, ah, I'm, not, I'm not excited about the direction their life is going, help them. Grab them. Don't let them be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. We need to do it together. So let's land the plane. Caleb knew God's past grace. Caleb looked at what God had done for him and his people to bring them out of slavery to the very front step of the promised land. He looked in the, at the promised land. He said, yes, there's risk involved, but God is for us. Let's step in. We are called to do the same as Christians. We are called to look back at God's grace for us in Christ, remind ourselves of the thousand ways that God has shown up in the past, and then look at our present reality and step forward with a persevering confidence, knowing that God is with me, he will be with me to the end. Let's pray. God, we are not strong. You are strong. Our courage does not come from our ability, from our wisdom, from our knowledge. Our courage comes from Christ and his finished work. Our courage comes from Christ's strength and Christ's faithfulness and steadfastness. And so help us, Father, to, like Caleb, look back at, our pa at past grace and step into future grace. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.